you know, it was a long, hard winter, and high school basketball was the only thing in town, the only game in town. This is the 1953 beach team, the Buccaneers, entrant in the state class B 1953 tourney, being held at Minor. No, and the goal in life was to play in the state tournament. Coming to you from the vast and windy, wide-open plains of North Dakota, this is the Dakota Ball Podcast, an explorative journey into small-town living and Midwestern dreams of big-time high school basketball. Basketball team entered the season needing to replace four of its top six players. Glen Owen Hebron, the champions of Region 7 at State for the first time. They are the true Cinderella story of this tournament. Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Dakota Ball Podcast. I'm your host, James Wollner. Before we start, I'd like to say that listening to this episode will be a little different than episodes 1 and 2, so please listen carefully. Episodes 1 and 2 have focused on high school basketball in the 1940s and 50s, as well as in present-day North Dakota. If you've not already listened, then you should really check them out. For example, in episode 2, I interviewed the man who created and produced the movie Hoosiers. This podcast is not only about basketball, but also about small-town life. The two things go together. The tagline for this podcast is actually life, love, and basketball in a small town. Life, love, and basketball. We've talked a lot about basketball in episodes one and two, so maybe now it's time to take a look at those other two things. I've also promised that I will bring you real stories from real people in the upper Midwest. This episode delivers on that promise. We're about to get real, so... If you choose to listen to this episode, you should be prepared for the following three things. In one of the segments, you're going to hear quite a bit of profanity, particularly the F word, many, many times. If that offends you, then you should not listen to this episode, nor should you, in my experience, ever set your foot into a bar in a small town in the Dakotas. Real people in real bars in real towns often use that word, and I will not censor them or anyone else. We are, as I said, keeping it real. You should also be prepared for a wide spectrum of opinions about small-town living. In each interview, you will meet an individual with his or her own perspective. I intend to do my best to bring you as many perspectives as possible, but all of them won't fit into one episode. So please just know that I'm aware that there are other perspectives out there, and I hope to bring you those, too, in future episodes. In other words, the opinions in this episode are not the whole story by any means, and I'm aware of that. And finally, if you choose to listen to this episode, you will learn more about me. As I think I alluded to in the introduction earlier, I've become more and more disoriented by my surroundings, not just locally in North Dakota, however, but in the United States as a whole. This is partially due to politics and partially due to my own journey to assimilate into a small town in North Dakota. I won't preach my own views on you in any means, you don't have to worry about that, but to pretend like I have things all figured out and that I think everything is okay would be a big fat lie. 
I don't have things figured out, and that is why this episode of the Dakota Ball Podcast is the way it is. Basketball is about people, after all. So if you're okay with everything I've just told you, then welcome to Episode 3 of the Dakota Ball Podcast, where we're going to hit the road and meet some real people. Before we leave town, though, we're going to make two stops. First, we're going to stop at Zeroff's gas station in Hebron. If you recognize the name Zeroff, then you've really been paying attention. There are two Zeroffs, sisters actually, on the Lady Bearcats basketball team, and their grandparents run the gas station. After getting gas, we're going to stop quickly at the Hebron School to visit our first guest. So come on, without any further ado, let's hit the road. The money's right there. It's on that ticket. Okay. Okay, we've got a full tank of gas, so let's stop on the way out of town and meet our first guest at the Hebron School. My name is Jennifer Hossman, and I was born in the sunny and hot state of Arizona in 1972, and I went to Arizona State University. I'm a proud Sun Devil. And you now live in Hebron, North Dakota. That's right. We've been here for, it'll be five years in the spring. And I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but it's my opinion that you have been able to assimilate much better than I have personally. Well, I think it's my personality. I'm, my parents used to call me a social butterfly when I was younger, and it's just my nature to talk to people. I get along well with all different walks of life. I would just say to anybody, mo- moving to a small town, you know, if you don't get out there, you're going to be awfully lonely. Well, would you recommend that someone moves to North Dakota? Well, selfishly, I would not because I love how few people live here. However, from a family standpoint, I absolutely love living in North Dakota. One of my funny stories that I always tell people that um, about why I'm here and what I love about this place is for about six weeks, I followed my kids around Hebron because I come from a big city where you don't let your kids out of your sight. You follow them everywhere. And finally, some of my friends here said to me, you don't have to follow them. We'll call you. Or if we don't call you, another mom will call you to tell you that your kids are doing something wrong. And it dawned on me then that, wow, I'm living in Mayberry. You know, this is okay. The Andy Griffith Show, starring Andy Griffith with Ronnie Howard. I'm sure there are a lot of younger listeners out there who have never heard of Mayberry, at least in the context that Jennifer used here. Mayberry was a fictitious small town that was the setting for two television shows, The Andy Griffith Show, which ran through most of the 1960s, and Mayberry RFD, which ran from 1968 to 1971. The show is about a small town sheriff in an almost perfect idyllic town in North Carolina. The name Mayberry is now a blanket term to describe towns where crime is practically non-existent, and where people are friendly and kind. We want to get married. Oh, are you sure? Are you absolutely, positively sure? It's fantastic. Love it here. The only thing I don't like about here is it's so far away from my hometown. But that's no fault of North Dakota or Hebron in any way, shape, or form. What about the winters? Uh, The first one was very awful for me because I didn't really realize you still get out. You know, now I do. I get out at five in the morning and put on my snow boots and my 
heavy gear and I walk every morning for one hour on Main Street and it's okay. You know, the only time I don't do that if it's below 20 or 20 below or colder, then I don't go. But other than that, I go every day. You just have to, you have to learn to live in the conditions you're in and, and be happy. Have you talked to people about locking their doors? And Well, a lot of people say things to me like, well, we, we never used to lock our doors until the oil boom. And I kind of chuckle to myself because we wouldn't be living here if it wasn't for the oil boom. And so I think, well, we are an example of the oil boom family. So it's not, it's a misconception. It's a, almost a prejudice, if you will, that the oil boom brings bad people. But the oil boom brings good people, too. You know, we would have never been here and... We would have never found out about Hebron, North Dakota. I said to my husband, find a place that has a Catholic church and looks decent. Mm -hmm. And so he picked the place out and rented, and then we loved it so much. So we we bought a house, and we do lock our door because I lived 40 years in the big city where it's a habit. You lock your door at night, and so I just continue to do so. But I imagine you're right, that it would be perfectly fine. Do you have any thoughts on how North Dakotans themselves are different? Or I hear a lot. I've, I've noticed a lot about work ethic, toughness. That. Mm-hmm. And friendliness, I think, too. It's friendlier here than in other cities I've lived in. We, we came in our first, this kind of goes back to your first question, we went to church right away because I thought, okay, we're going to church because we have to go to church and it's the right thing to do and there's going to be people there to talk to. And on the first Sunday we went, my husband happened to be at work and when he came home he said, well, how was it? And I said, well... I said, this family asked us to supper. I said, I wonder what they're selling. Because coming from the big city, you automatically assume people aren't just nice just because they're nice. And we went, and sure enough, they just wanted to welcome us into their home. And it was so refreshing. And I, and I just still remember that, that that happened to us. And I just love that. It's just, That's great. yeah. It was really a North Dakota people are unbelievably willing to go above and beyond to help another person. I was in uh, Walmart in Dickinson, and my boy wanted to stay in the car, and he left the radio on but not the engine running. So, of course, when I came out, the battery was dead. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I happened to look in my rearview mirror, and I saw uh, Daryl Schulte walking by. And I got out of the car, and I said, Daryl! And that was it. In 10 minutes, my car was running and I was on my way. Yeah, I mean, it's North Dakota. I should also congratulate you on your new position here. Well, um, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm very excited. It's my first year as the elementary school principal. I've been in education 21 years and always wanted to be a teacher, loved school, never had any other consideration when I was a little girl. And so, um, yeah, this position presented itself and I went for it and I'm very excited because now I'm in the position to be able to help my colleagues, which I absolutely love. And I'm happy and I'm excited for our, our school to continue on with the positive way that it's going. And speaking of that, another question I'm asking everyone is, do you have anything yourself to share with the Lady Bearcat basketball team who went to state here last year, as you know. Any words of wisdom or advice or warning or anything? Well, I really don't know basketball all that well. I was very excited for them and for our hometown as well. And my only real advice, and I guess I say this because I have a teenage daughter and this is about as close as I get to this, is, you know, be humble and kind, you know, be gracious. Um, 
you know, it's a wonderful thing and how great, but remember that people look up to you and treat them nicely. I'm just saying it's always nice when you're successful to remember to be grateful. Well, once again, congratulations on your new job. Whatever you're doing here, you're doing it right because everyone I talk to just loves you. So oh, thank you. you should write a little pamphlet or book for, for newcomers to town. That's nice. And um, maybe I'll see you around the basketball courts. This Sounds year. good. Okay, let's leave Hebron, or should I say Mayberry, and hit the open road. I plan out this trip in the following manner. First, I drive from Hebron, North Dakota, to Golden Valley, North Dakota, population 180. It's only about 30 miles away, but I just want to stop in at the bar there for a beer and a burger. Then, it's a five-hour drive to Mountain, North Dakota, population 92. Except on this weekend, the town will be flooded with people to celebrate the Icelandic festival. You may already know that a big portion of the upper Midwest was settled by Scandinavians, Swedish, and Norwegians, but there was also a very concentrated Icelandic settlement in the northeastern corner of North Dakota. In fact, I'll be camping in a place called Icelandic State Park. Tonight there will be a street dance at the festival, which, for those of you who don't know, is when a town blocks off Main Street and puts on a dance with live music. Then tomorrow, we'll head to Langdon, North Dakota, which is about 30 miles from the Canadian border and where the topsoil produces some of the best crops in the country. From Langdon, we'll travel basically straight south for 277 miles to Turton, South Dakota. There, we'll meet two sisters who both left sunny Southern California to start a family life in two tiny towns in South Dakota. But our first stop, as I said, is Golden Valley, North Dakota. In the bar in Golden Valley, I ordered a burger and a beer, and I struck up a conversation with a couple gals playing pool. They agreed to let me interview them when they stepped outside for a smoke. My name is Tasha Brinkman. I'm from Dodge, North Dakota. I've lived here for about 12 years, but I am originally from Washington State. Um, I am Linda Wagum, originally from Arizona. I've been in North Dakota just over 20 years now. Would you guys recommend uh, other people to move here? Yes. To Golden Valley, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. to Golden Valley. Why is that? Um, because the town rocks. <laughs> We're a very tight community. Family, friends, pretty much. Yeah. How many people live here? 187 was the last count. No gas station, no convenience store. Um, this is what we have. <laughs> so describe what's on Main We're on Main Street. Yeah. You want to describe what, what's here? That's an old grocery store. It's a thrift store now. She opens, what, once a month, maybe, Saturdays. Whenever her kids are here. Post office is right here. 
post office. There's a welding shop right down there. City Hall, right, is down there. That's City Hall. They do wedding dances, meetings, mm -hmm. everything. And the rest is all residential. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's Main Street and the bar here, which is called Saddle Sore. Saddle Sore Saloon. Colton Valley is only two blocks long. <laughs> There's not a stoplight, like a regular set of stoplights, in Mercer County, period. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just thought about that. There's none in Pig City. <laughs> it's so old school. There's none in Hazen. There's none in Beulah. Where's the closest, where's the closest stoplight from here? Dickinson. Beulah. Oh, yeah, well, mm -mm. can't you count that? Mm -mm. No, you can't really count that as a stoplight. You stop for the stop sign and you look both There's ways. There's a blinking yellow one Dickinson. That's what I was talking about. It's yeah. not like red, yellow, and green, though. I don't know if there is in Dunn, either. I don't think there is in Twin Buttes. No. Mm -mm. Yeah, there's no stoplights in Dunn County, either. By the way, I should mention just because people are listening to this, we're sitting outside the bar drinking openly. Is this legal? Yes. It's legal to sit here and drink? Yes. We're in the beer garden. The cop, <laughs> we used to have a cop that lived here. He lived in that red house right there. Okay. So, and he, I mean, as long as we're not out here causing a ruckus and keeping, making so, nuisance, then yeah. Smoking this close to the bar, maybe not. <laughs> I love it here though. This is like old school stuff, man. This is like cowboy this, country. This you do like, what I the old people think you should do, and that's about it. Pretty much. I only live two blocks away, <clears throat> and I'll come down here, and I'll be wearing my, like, my PJs and my house slippers, and I get frowned on by the older people because I'm not wearing my boots and jeans and stuff like that. I moved here when I was... 15. I think it was pretty close to my 16th birthday and about two months later I think there's been rumors talked or I've been asked about stuff ever since. Yeah. I've almost been here for 12 years. Why do you think that is? Boredom. Because there ain't nothing to do around here. People get bored. You can drink beer, raise cattle, work in the oil field or talk shit. People who were born here and have lived here and the most likely people to judge you haven't been anywhere else but here. I guess I know the dark side of the town. <laughs> no, there was a shooting south of town. Kids that had just moved to town decided they wanted to go and rob him. What was and that kid's name? It wasn't was it? Yeah, one of them. Yeah. I used to work with him. Worst job ever. But I went and picked him up from work because I'm a nice person. You know, someone needs a ride to work. and I'm, Sure. Until you do me wrong, I'm going to treat you right. You know, I like to make friends pick him up and he has some stuff on him that he shouldn't have on him we we're pulling up to work and he pulls the stuff out of from underneath my seat and i look at him like he's fucking crazy i'm like dude you ain't ever getting in my car again i was like i will forgive you this one time and i will give you a ride home but don't you ever do this again i'm like i got a kid this is crazy there was a gun and then there was some other stuff and I don't know why you would bring that to a freaking housekeeping job at this freaking Beulah, North Dakota, but. And then six months later, he goes and shoots up the freaking farm outside of Golden Valley. And then there was um, Mercer County SWAT team at the end of my road. Um, SWAT team was called out there. A guy who was supposed to be working on the house 
had pulled an AR-15 on two other people in the house and was holding them hostage. I've probably been in about three fights since I've lived here. Where are the fights at here? Bar. Hi, Any bar. Alley. And that's the thing around here is like the people that are around here or if somebody mess is messing with somebody that you love or something like you pretty much have to step in and tell them to stop. Inside the bar, I enjoyed my cheeseburger and beer, and I thought about what Tasha and Linda had talked about outside. I needed to get back on the road, but a part of me didn't want to. I hesitate to tell you why, because it feels like I may be boasting a little. People who know me well know that I'm not real big on boasting or bragging. Don't get me wrong, I'm aware of some of my strengths and many of my weaknesses and faults, but I stem from Scandinavian ancestors, Norwegians actually, who settled in South Dakota, the place where my parents were born. I was born in Northern California, but the distance from Norway to California was not great enough, and the number of generations were too few to keep Scandinavian traits from seeping into and clutching onto my life. Self-praise, boasting, and bragging has no place in Scandinavian culture, or at least it didn't at the time that many were emigrating from Norway to the United States. You can see this behavior today in the attitudes and demeanor of farmers of Scandinavian descent. They do two things. They work hard, and they don't boast much about themselves. I'll never forget the first time I wrote a resume in Sweden to apply for a job. I had my girlfriend at the time, a Swede, review it for me, And the first thing she said was, it's way too American. And I said, what do you mean? Turns out that all that stuff I was taught in high school and college about how to sharpen up your resume, to talk yourself up, list all your awesome achievements was, at least in 1990, completely off-putting in a resume in Sweden. It was basically too full of itself, inflated and exaggerated, which is exactly how I was taught that it needed to be. In a resume in the United States, you basically need to say, hey, I'm awesome. In Sweden, however, you should not brag, and that even needs to be taken into consideration on a resume. One should be confident, but humble. This is my long-winded way of saying that, between having Norwegian forefathers and having lived in Sweden for 20 years, it is somewhat difficult for me to boast or brag even to this day. But at the risk of doing it anyway, I'm going to say that there is one thing that I'm good at. I can often spot a wounded, hurt, or even just temporarily saddened soul a mile away. And the word to spot is not even entirely the whole picture. Sometimes it's simply a feeling. I feel very uncomfortable stating this because I realize many may think it's a load of horse manure, but it's one of the few things I've discovered about myself that I can't, or perhaps I should really say, I will no longer deny. But back to our story at the bar, the reason a part of me did not want to leave Golden Valley was because I felt that one of the girls, Tasha, was somehow wounded and hurt, and a part of me wanted to find out why. I asked Tasha if I could continue interviewing her a little bit more, and she agreed. It was at the bar, so there's a bit of background noise, but it's not too bad, and besides, it's worth listening to. My first bar job was in Dodge, North Dakota. I, uh... Before I worked there, 
I was in the bar anyways just because it was a really small town and I hung out there and there was nothing else to do. I was probably 17 years old when I started hanging out in there. Aren't you supposed to be 21? Yeah, you are, but the owner at the time, <laughs> I mean, I was I was a teenager, you know, I was ruthless, I didn't care, and if I was allowed to be in there, they didn't let me drink, Oh. but then when I was like 19, I told them I was 21, and then they believed me, but that was my first bartending job, and they actually led on to me pretty nicely, because I have family here. When I came to work here in Golden Valley, this was a tough town to break. I tell you what, I can walk into the door now and people are like, hey, what's up, Tasha? But, like, I had to work here for at least a year and a half for people to be that way. Like, very judgmental, don't know who you are, and it's like an instant fence goes up and they're judgmental. But that's just the way it is around here. And I, that's what's cool is that, like, it teaches you a life lesson of not worrying what people think about you. And I think I told you that earlier. It's not... These small towns, man, they just teach you not to give a, you know. My uncle, Kurt, lived here for a long time. And people have looked at me and judged me until they find out I'm a brinkman. And people will literally look at me and ask me if I'm related to Kurt. And I'll be like, yeah. And right when I tell them that I'm related, it's like a 360. It's a big old flip. They, like, treat me totally different. It's weird. It's, no, it's totally clicky and people know who I am now. I'm from Washington. I will be a city slicker but a small town girl at the same time. Like it ain't gonna change from that and then... So do you have any advice for people moving from Washington or California, New York? I know that when you walk in the front door of a bar into a little town like this, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to be looked at and people are going to judge you. You know, it's different. It's a totally different atmosphere. There's not a bunch of places to go. You go to one place and, and that's the place you go to. There's not... You don't have options. And those people that are there feel like they have the lane like they have the ropes just don't give a shit don't give a shit do you don't worry about what anybody thinks you know life lessons and that's all you can do My friend Ashley right there, she's one of my really good buddies. We were talking about that today. It doesn't matter. Around here, you get judged. It doesn't matter if you do it or you don't do it. You get judged. If there ain't anything to judge you on, they'll they'll make something up to judge you on. That's just the way it is. And it's and it sucks and it's heartbreaking and it, and it's really hard to handle with if you're not used to it. But soon enough, you just you get used to it. I was the most sensitive little daisy flower ever. But you could pick me when I first started working in bars around here. I would go in the bathroom and I would cry and I'd be so upset. But, but now, no. Being judged. They just don't treat you with respect. Not tipping you, looking at you, tapping their beer on the on the table. Like you gotta respect your bartender, man. They ain't just serving you. They ain't your fucking queen. They're their husband's queen. You can't treat them like that. You gotta realize that they're running the whole bar. That's a problem with a lot of the older people around here. Is that if you did not grow here, you need to you need to prove and you need to stand your point and you need to give them a reason to respect you. What do you want to prove? That was a little difficult to hear, but what I asked her was, 
what is it that you're supposed to prove? You know, yeah, no, I, and to be completely honest, I don't know. But that's what it was for me. I had to be repetitive, just like with being around and like continuing to be friendly to like certain people. I feel like it's proving a point, but at the same time, I feel like it's just them getting used to you. It's like the Great Wall of China. <laughs> they like, they ain't gonna let you climb over. It's not. And I know it sounds fucked up and stuff, and you hate them, and you, like, when I first started working here and stuff, I was like, you know, fuck these motherfuckers, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't, it's, like, they look down on me, and they treat me like shit until they like me. But, and then it's weird, because you just, like, grow onto them, and you learn to love them, and then you, like, learn what they go through. I don't know, man. It's just life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Life's hard. And, and, like, with us having this conversation and stuff, you were the first person who has approached me and, like, genuinely cared or has ever asked me in my lifetime while living here. That's how it is. And that's why I always say it's just you, you just toughen up. Real. No one is. No. And it hasn't cared. But that's just it. You just toughen up. You don't have to be sorry. I'm okay. I know. It's just kind of. It's tough. It's tough. Intuition is a funny thing. It's like a relationship or a campfire, maybe. It needs to be nurtured to stay strong and full of vigor. If you start to doubt it, it spirals downward into a slow death. I had been neglecting and second-guessing my intuition for quite a while, which maybe is another way of saying I'd been neglecting myself. So when Tasha shared some of the struggles she'd had adapting to a small town, I felt a sense of relief. My intuition was at least partially correct. Tasha did have wounds, even if, by all appearances, they did seem to have healed, and healed cleanly. And because my intuition had been somewhat on target, maybe that somehow meant that I'm still on a trajectory in life that I can trust. I can still rely on my intuition and on myself to navigate through a world which I find harder and harder to make any sense of. Obviously, Golden Valley and Dodge were no Mayberry for Tasha. But she seemed as tough as she claimed, at least as tough as a 26-year-old single mother can be without becoming pessimistic. She'd gone in fighting, sometimes literally, and she'd come out strong and unscathed by that one life-sucking disease called bitterness. Tasha was going to be fine. Sitting there at the bar, preparing to hit the open highway, I assumed that the hint of sadness which I'd thought I'd seen in her eyes was simply the residual fatigue of a young woman's long fight to feel accepted, not for who she was related to or where she came from, but accepted simply for who she was, in a place where nobody had ever stopped to ask. I assumed that this was the end of her story, at least for that day, and I asked for my check. As it turned out, there was more to her story around everybody all the time i met somebody from out of state he's from california actually um we got involved we started dating and stuff and then we got serious and then we just we were together for about two years we were engaged about to get married and he went a little crazy and got off his rocker and we ended up not being engaged this was like three months ago 
Well, I'm not one to hop around. I I believe in love. I'm a hopeless romantic. I am not going to skip out on anything that I feel like can be right. At all. No one tips around here. <laughs> no one tips. What the heck, man? If I, I just want to explain real quick what happened here. Like Earlier slave. on, two elderly couples came in to eat, and Tasha's friend, the bartender, made them food, brought them drinks at the table, and apparently they just walked out without tipping her at all. Yeah. But yeah, no. It's crazy around here. It's just weird. Well, where I was getting at is I got in, I went to high school with this kid, and I ended up after everything went bad with the relationship that I was in and I was in a bad place and my family like everybody ended up disowning me actually like a month and a half ago and then this guy that I went to high school with he um he was just there for me he just cared about me he didn't try and like make any swift moves or anything and he uh we just we hit it off we started hanging out we hit it off and we were really good friends and ends up that I think we fall in love, and, and it was amazing. It was, like, the best that I have felt in a long time. He was there for me, and he had gone out of a bad relationship, and I was there for him. And What happened? I don't know, man. He texted me, <laughs> actually, yesterday, last night. He texted me and told me that he was depressed, and he wasn't ready to date anybody. And I just kind of, like... Thought in my head, like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you know? It's, I'll be okay. North Dakota has taught me that no matter what, I need to be okay. You gotta be tough. What a, I'm sorry, that sucks. No, it, it, it super sucks. But I've been drinking wine, and wine makes me happy, so I'm okay. <laughs> No, but really, it does. It super sucks, but I, it's like I, I feel like I know him enough to just know that he's like got to do his own thing. I respect people; they got to do what they got to do, and they got to go through their own life, life choices. It sucks because I love him, but there is nothing that I can fucking do about it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 y
Somehow, however, my heart was not quite into it. While walking around the town and scoping out the street dance, I felt out of sorts. I'm not exactly sure why, but most likely it was a combination of things. Maybe I'd listened too much to the news that day, and no matter what your views are, it's hard to feel upbeat about that right now. I'd also spent part of my drive considering the possibility that Mayberry may just be a state of mind. Can we all find our own Mayberry somewhere? What about Tasha in Golden Valley? Did she get a fair chance of finding hers? Another thing Tasha had said also had me feeling down. If becoming a full-fledged member of a small town requires a person to prove themselves, as Tasha said, then the odds were against me in so many ways. I am not an extrovert, nor am I charming, nor a social butterfly. And I don't frequent the Catholic Church, or any other church really, and I didn't have any plans to start doing that either. And maybe that's all okay. Maybe my strong sense of self and individuality supersedes my occasional desire to feel like I might belong. I live on my own in Hebron, and I admit that I sometimes feel lonely. But if a sense of belonging, or being accepted, requires me to conform to something I'm not just to please others, or if it requires me to prove myself, then I guess I'll take the loneliness. Still, full disclosure, walking around the Icelandic festival during the street dance, I did feel lonely. Most likely though on that night, it was due to all the Icelandic, Swedish, and Norwegian flags and food and culture that had me thinking about my daughters who live in Sweden. I'd recently returned from a trip to Iceland where I'd met up with one of my daughters for a few days, and I think maybe the presence of all things Scandinavian that night simply made me feel the deep absence of the two people I love most. For the first time since moving back to the United States, I began to wonder, what in the world am I doing here, in a tiny town in North Dakota by myself on a Saturday night, still so full of questions and so far from my daughters? I knew I wouldn't figure it out that night though, so once again, I listened to my intuition, and my intuition was telling me to go to Icelandic State Park, crawl into my sleeping bag, and to call it a middle of the night my tent is full of smoke from what it's the neighboring campfires 
the neighboring campsite's campfire is smoking me out here. I either gotta, I don't know what time it is, I think I gotta get out of here. Once I managed to get my tent aired out again, I was wide awake. I still had not shaken the melancholy I'd felt at the festival, and I was overcome with a sudden sensation that I was entirely alone. I mean, I knew I was alone in my tent, but I felt as if the whole state of North Dakota was sleeping, or perhaps the whole nation was sleeping in some kind of stunned daze. It was a feeling that had been creeping up on me for months. I had a sudden need to talk to someone, anyone who might be out there with a pulse. One of the nice things about having friends all around the world in different time zones is that there's almost always someone who is awake. At 3 a.m. in North Dakota, it was 10 a.m. in Sweden. I scanned my Facebook Messenger to see if anyone was recently online that might pick up. I even made a couple phone calls, but to no avail. Then. I noticed a friend of mine in Iceland was online. It was someone I'd met there briefly at a jazz club. Since I was in Icelandic State Park in North Dakota, and because I'd just been to the Icelandic Fest, it seemed fitting to try. It was 8 a.m. in Iceland, but I gave her a holler on Facebook Messenger, and she agreed to pick up the phone if I called. Hi. Remember me? Yes, I do. How are you? Uh, well, I have a bit of a head cold. Still oh. uh, a bit of a sore throat. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, so it goes. So it I'll be better soon. Yeah. How? <clears throat> can you remind me what, what the name of the place of that jazz place was we met at? In Reykjavik? Mm, yes, it called Hurra, but uh, it means hooray. There's a good band there, a jazz band. Yeah, not anyone I, I had heard of before or anything like that. Right. So I told you I went to this Icelandic festival? Yes, you told me. How was it? Boring. <laughs> okay. Why? Well... I mean, it wasn't very Icelandic, really. I mean, no. I mean, they had a tractor pull. You know, <laughs> you know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I I, I, mean, I think I have heard about it. Is that an Icelandic thing? Mm, no, I I don't think so. No. And, but I think it was partially my um, state of mind. I mean, I wasn't. They had a street dance, so in small towns out here they yes. will have street dances and they basically block off the street so cars can't drive you know there's there's only one mm -hmm. street two maybe. in the town where you live or or where this was where the icelandic festival was okay you kind of have to be in the right state of mind to just go talk to people sometimes i'm really good at it mm -hmm. sometimes i'm not so i don't know yes Yes, I, I I know the feeling. 
uh, sometimes it can be fun just going somewhere on your own and you just talk to people and it's no problem. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it can be really depressing. Yeah, I and think you feel like uh, like my friend was uh, describing uh, earlier. Uh, she doesn't like to go to those, you know, Kostjar night where there are lots of people downtown in, in Reykjavik or things like that because she feels lonely in a crowd. I, I, I enjoy my own company, actually. Um, and then you do something, but then every once in a while, like at, at the street dance, I was just like, well, <laughs> this is no fun. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, I totally get that, yes. <laughs> yes. And, but, you know, like myself, I was at this uh, costume night, and I was with a friend and a friend of hers, uh, a few friends of hers, and I got so tired of being with this group of people. I wanted to be alone. So <laughs> that happens to me a lot. So you're an introvert. Yeah, I'm. I'm maybe I am. I yeah, in a way, I am. I get really tired of uh, being with other people too much. I was already feeling uh, so much better. What was it? it doesn't matter how much of an introvert you might be, or how much of a loner you might consider yourself. Sometimes the most simple human interaction can make all the difference. My friend's comment about feeling lonely in a crowd resonated with me in so many ways. Speaking with her that night, I needed to be honest with myself, as I'll be honest with you now. I have perhaps always felt a type of loneliness in a crowd. It's as if when I'm alone, I sometimes miss being around others. But when I'm in a crowd, I somehow miss myself. I'm not able to explain it to you or to myself any better than that right now. Perhaps someday I'll be able to. But lately, the crowd in which I experience loneliness seems to be growing in size. Whereas in the past, I may have experienced it in crowds such as basketball teams, or a job, or at a party. Now the crowd, or group, has grown to encompass just about everyone. I feel lonely in this society. I'm not sure how I can explain this. But perhaps you recognize the following quote by Martin Luther King Jr. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. I feel lonely in my crowd because I feel like the crowd has become desensitized and has become silent about things that matter. Yes, people express themselves on Facebook. And yes, the news is filled with opinions, but... Every day now, we get up, we go to work, fill our cars with gas, brush our teeth, put on our clothes, hang laundry, buy cappuccinos and lattes and espressos, we rush to work, we chit-chat, we walk our dog, as if everything is kind of okay. I can't do it. I can't pretend like everything is okay. But talking with my friend in Iceland as all of North Dakota slept, distracted me from these feelings of doom and hopelessness. That is, it did, until she told me the following story about one of her students. She teaches Icelandic to immigrants in Iceland, and one of her pupils was an American gentleman from the state of Washington. Suddenly, the reality of 2017 came rushing back in. And there is this one American. Uh, He's a little bit older than me. Uh, And he has he used to live in Seattle, a lawyer, 
and he has moved to Iceland and he's working for an Icelandic company. And we had never talked about politics until after the election. Oh. And he spoke of it as an of this as an embarrassment. Hmm. This is embarrassing, he said. Right. About about the president of the United States. But uh, you know I I really don't know that many people in Iceland who have any regards for the president of the American States now. People right. laugh at him. And but maybe now a little bit we feel that okay this is dangerous because it feels like we have people there who are running these countries but are are more or less thinking about themselves before they are thinking about anything else. And you well, know, people are, people I talk to people who live in Chicago for example, black people, they are talking about, you know, I need to move I need to move from the states because these things that are happening here are terrible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is getting worse. It's said. definitely getting it's getting worse. It's more divided, that's for sure. And people are more open about their um, lack of tolerance for other people. Yes. And it's like almost okay now. It's really sad, and I don't know. Again, like. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> Why are you living in a place that like that? I cannot understand. <laughs> yeah, that's it interesting question you ask what am, why am I and I think my daughters would really like an answer to that question yes I mean they ask a good question right like what the hell am I doing yes Today is a new day, and today I'm driving to Langdon, North Dakota to meet a friend of mine, actually the son of a co-worker. Matthew Emter is 21 years old, and he's a farmer in Langdon where he works with his dad. Matthew graduated from high school in the town of Glen Ullen, population 750. I want to ask Matt what it's like to be a teenager in a small town like Glen Ullen. So let me ask you that. 
I saw we're sitting in a park in Langdon, which is how far from Canada, you think? 30, 60? Uh, we're about 30 miles, roughly, give or take. Yeah. And there's a, in this park, there's a big missile, like, statue. Yeah. That's a nuclear warhead, right? Yep. There or is not a up, real one, but I mean, not it, it was at one time. It's just, dis, you know, dismantled or whatever, but it's the shell. And that's here them. because? Because the town, like in Nakoma, about 10 miles south, that was, they call it the, you know, pyramid and stuff. There's a pyramid out there, and that's, they made, it's made out of concrete and things, but that's where they were going to have the military nuclear launch sites, launch right? sites those are underground right yep yeah the pyramid yeah interesting so i've also seen vehicles that says u.s border patrol it's kind of funny because usually when i think of border patrol i think of the border between mexico and the united states yeah yeah it's definitely not as hostile you know as you think people trying to sneak in or sneak out <laughs> yeah <laughs> in today's standards you never know but uh no but there's an odd time where guys are trying to sneak drugs in or out you know what happens or, you know, there's somebody jumping jump the border. I mean, but to be honest, you can jump the border fairly easy up here because there's not, you know, within 50 mile radius, it's nothing. It's I remember that like a year ago, you showed me your dad has farming land right right, along the right, right, right on the border. So yeah. we were out probably within, what, 100 yards of the Canadian border. We could have walked across there if we wanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they might have, someone might have been monitoring it. I don't know, but. Yeah. Well, they say there's planes that patrol it every once in a while. It's pretty lenient, but I wouldn't recommend jumping in a border, but. What was it like growing up in Glen Ellen, North Dakota? You did what you wanted to. You could go out and ride bike when you wanted to. You didn't have to worry about anybody, you know, hurting you or, you know, like California or bigger cities, you know, you're. Everybody's always paranoid, you know, somebody's going to yeah. come and kidnap you or whatever. But no, there's none of that. You could go out and do what you wanted and stay out, stay out till when you wanted. And you knew everybody in town. Everybody knew you, you know, and it was just great. Cause it was just really nice because you could have that freedom and yeah. do what you want. Can you tell me what, like, high school kids, once they can start driving, what do you do on a Saturday night? Well, see, like, I, you know, I, I grew up. I wasn't much of the party or drinker type, you know. I didn't go out and party with the friends, and we'd go out and drive around. We call them hot laps. We'd drive out in the interstate, you know. Cause our town is divided by two exits, 108 and 110, and we'd you know get a pop bottle of pop or you know some snack chips, whatever, and jam out in the car, and just drive out to the interstate one exit, and then go down the interstate about you know 75 go to the other exit and then circle back in the town and we sometimes do that multiple times a night because it was just fun or we'd go out and down a country road and you know at this time in a small town like that you don't you could have your rifle with and just go out and shoot gophers and snakes and whatever you know no one thought anything of it it was just what you did to have you know well like I again I never did it but you know back in the day in high school and stuff some of the some of my buddies would actually sneak into the bars and sit you know and party and so how did the bartenders not know that they were not 21 or did they i'm neutral on that i don't know <laughs> i don't know if they yeah. did or they didn't yeah. but that was just a thing you know I mean, no in a way no one cared as long as you're safe about it and weren't dumb mm-hmm. you know like didn't go out and drive nobody really batted an eye you know, and then a couple of times, like in small town there too, like go out hunting. And I remember one time back out hunting 
we brought a brought a deer that we shot and put it on the hood of the car and drove it through town you know and like that most of the time you think that big town you don't ever see that but you know and then and then we have friends would have cart we'd have card night on you know we weekend we'd go have play cards all night and we just play and then we stay overnight at the buddy's house that we were at you know and we just had we did that thing we didn't do anything really you know we didn't go out and party and drink and mm-hmm. are you just saying this because your mom's listening no i'm not and we, we i mean we we did it we did it on occasion you know we but we didn't do it we did it there we never left you know we were there were there like other groups of teenagers or young people around that you had to stay away from who were into drugs and stuff they were there but they were good people you just had to know one know to you know like we always say say no you know stay away from it but they were all good people i mean they were there you could you could have found it but. you know and i like i went to college there in bismarck and you know it's a little bigger state capital north dakota you know and, and uh i was in heaven i remember the first month or two of college because the movie theater was I exit down to go see any movie that was out that I wanted. Yeah. Heck, if I need to go to Walmart or the mall, there it is, you know, with a mile or two away. Yeah. You know, anything I wanted. You played basketball, right? Yep. yep. For the Glenelan Hebron Bearcats. Bearcats. Yep. What years did you play? Well, I played, you know, I was uh, played seventh, or heck, I played from fifth to like eighth grade. We were really good too. But then, you know, like I didn't, so I didn't play my freshman sophomore year when I, we went through coaches like crazy you know we, we went through coaches yeah we, I, think we, I think we had three or four coaches from eighth grade hmm. on to senior year you know just because you know in a small town if you don't like the coach people you know kind of kind of scare them away in a way and they don't want to deal with it played your junior I played my junior senior year and it was it was great yeah I, it was the funnest time ever I thought it was just when you travel to a big place like Arizona or, you know, other places, how does it feel? I mean, how do you experience a well, place it feels like weird. Phoenix? feels different because, you know, you see, you know, up here, honestly, a lot of us are white. Mm-hmm. And, on, you know, and you go down home or down big cities, it's African-American, a bunch of different nationalities. You know, it, you know I think it's awesome. And, you know, you got people don't care. Like... Like up, up, yeah, people don't care. Like, because if you come up here and like, for instance, like if you're crazy and you're dancing down the streets, you know, having fun, everybody's judging, you know, get kind of, you know, what is that guy doing? You know, I mean, I don't mean it in the bad way, but that's just how it is. You know, it's not, you don't see it every day. You don't see it every day. Yes. But you go down, like you said, Arizona, California, that happens on a daily basis. You know, something like that. You're just having fun. You don't care. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. You know, in a small town, you know, the judging is a little more stiff because you don't see everything. So I interviewed a girl in Golden Valley who lived there 10 years, but she said it took like years for people to accept her. And she felt judged right away. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? To, do you understand what she means? Cause I, I, do get what, I do get it, yes, because she's, she's not, you know, the usual person. In so town. What happens when someone new comes into a small town? Why is, is it? Well, everybody tries to figure them out, you know, who they are, and if, what, ba- you know, if they have any baggage, then and if somebody catches wind of that, well, the people that like to so drama. So they're looking it, for bad stuff right away? The, the people that want that, that want to dramatize, yeah. 
They will. Is it just because people are bored or? That could be, or they just like to cause a menace. I'm not saying everybody in the town likes to do that because they don't, right. you know, but not a few that like to do that. And I've, I've lived it. I was also told that it doesn't matter what you do because you're going to be judged anyway. If they don't have anything on you, they'll make stuff up. Yep. And that's the truth of it too. Even with the negatives in a small town, it, it's still a great life. You just got to know, you know, just like anything, big city, you got to know what not to do and what to do and how to treat things, how to treat certain situations. Same, same goes in a small town. I mean, if you get judged, just blow it off. I know that's easy for me to say because I'm that kind of person. If, if you have a problem with me, tell me. If you're just going to judge me, then I just don't need anything to do with you. I mean, that's, you know, that's just the way I view it. Do you think you'll live your whole life in North Dakota or would you like to live somewhere else for a while or? Well, you know, what I, I mean, I, I think so. At least I'll live here till my retirement age. I, you know, I, I can sit there and say that now, but in, in some way I'd like to, you know, go live somewhere bigger someday. You know, and you're whole, how old now? 21. You got a while till retirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you will retire at 60, I got a while. But, I don't uh, think I'll be around when you retire. Unless you retire very young. Yeah, yeah. With, with the lottery, anything can happen. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking time to um, talk to me about life in small towns on the Dakota Ball podcast. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. The song you just heard is called Driven by Jeffrey Berry of Nashville, Tennessee. Coincidentally, the next stop on this road trip is Turton, South Dakota, which is the town where Jeffrey's father, Jim Berry, grew up. If you've already listened to episode one of this podcast, Starving on the Courts, you may remember my interviews with Jeffrey's dad and uncle, as well as others from Spink County, South Dakota, as they remembered the golden era of high school basketball. Today, however, we're going to meet two women, sisters actually, who left sunny Southern California to start families on the wide open and windy plains of South Dakota. I got 160 acres in the valley, got 160 acres of the best. Got an old well, I'm Heather Ram, and I was born in Long Beach, California in 1986 and moved to South Dakota in 2004, and I've lived out here 13 years. I'm Heidi Sanderson. And we're, we're sisters. We're sisters. I came out here in 2007 to go to South Dakota State. Got my four-year degree in agriculture. Met my wonderful spouse and um, married. And moved up. Um, well, we're not really in a town anymore. We're out in the country. We bought a 20-acre lot outside of a town with a population of five. And Heather, you live here in Turton, population, what, 60-something? Um, no, I think it's like 45. 45 people in yeah. the whole town. Turton has, um, on Main Street, there is a post office, a fire hall with a community center attached that they use for different gatherings. Um, and volunteer a fire department. Yeah, we have a volunteer fire department, and we have a, a bank and a park. Park is new. The park's two years old. Um, we also have a, a large, very gorgeous uh, Catholic church, which yeah. 
has a lot of members now. They've consolidated churches in the area in the last couple years. And so we've gained a lot of members. And so that's brought a lot of kids and a lot of young families to the area. And that's, that's been a big plus in our town because mm -hmm. it's given us, it's kind of rejuvenated the church and it's kind of given uh, us a needed, much needed boost. Definitely. So would you uh, recommend to other California ladies out there to move to South Dakota? To move out here? Yeah, I still would. <laughs> there's a little, I feel like there's a little hesitation there. <laughs> I used to think we had some pretty special story, you know, worthy of a Hallmark movie. <laughs> it depends what, what, you're, what you're after. I live in the middle of nowhere. I, you know, to one person who's 28 might say that's boring as hell. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's nothing going on out here. To the next person, I think it's it's a dream it's come like true. Some so some people would look at you and say you've got it all, or look at you know and say you got nothing. Got it all. Yeah. But but to somebody else, yeah. you know, who wants to do yoga classes or go to Starbucks or whatever, they'd say, oh, this is hell. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I would. I still would recommend it to people, and I still do, just because I I still love living out here. And um, it just has so much to offer, I think. Yeah. Pretty small. But I work up at, in Groton at the vet clinic, and I have lots of people come in that say they have family in Arizona or California, and they come out here and they spend their summers, and they just love the, the freedom to just go out and walk or, you know, leave the house and not tell mom and dad where you're going because, you know, the neighbor's watching or, you know. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you get to know everybody and everybody knows you, and you know that everybody's got your back. Mm -hmm. If something, anything goes wrong, they are there mm -hmm. immediately, and you just, you feel that at all times. You just feel like, a sense of community. you a feel sense um, of community. that support. I feel like mm -hmm. I've become harder. Uh -huh. I used to, I used to be a cry I mean I used to just be emotional I used to be very emotional I think living out here has just made me um tougher I'm more resilient and I think maybe I just feel like it's it's hard at times it's hard living you know and and it's nothing compared to what our ancestors went through but there's times when it's just rough living mm -hmm. you feel sometimes like you're just drowning with the crops the it, the rains don't come mm -hmm. or um, the weeds different. don't die from the spray and you mm -hmm. getting stuck in the mud and, like and the tractors and the chains of. break and sometimes it just feels like and and we can't really call on anybody because we are our own boss in this yeah. in this um, mm -hmm. life and we have to You're it. we are it and so I feel like pull up your bootstraps and so I feel like I'm a little harder on my surface so like here in Turton, when you see a car drive down the street that you don't recognize, does do you think about oh, it? Oh man! <laughs> yeah, you're talking about a small yeah. We are on the phone with our neighbors, yeah. and it's Seriously. check mm -hmm. this car out. Well, yeah. because we know which the locals. Well, we we know everybody's vehicle, but forty five people. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and we know their families for the most part. But yeah. if there's a where you're Look just like. I was going to say, the house that where we live, the road, our house is the only one on the road. So if anybody goes down our road, we're like, who's that? Because we're the only ones that have reason to be on that road because we live on it. Right. <laughs> no, but it's kind of funny in our town because um, if there's a car that's circling mm -hmm. for a while, looks like they're 
checking places out, we get on the phone with our friends in town who own guns and (laughs) they start patrolling town also. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's, you know, something to do. Looking out for each other. And a lot of times um, it does scare them off. Well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you got nothing to be scared of, right? right? Yeah. And a lot of times... We do hear later on that, mm-hmm. hey, somebody's house was broken into or something was stolen from somebody's mm-hmm. car. But I have, a, I have a, a memory about Heather that what makes me think one way you might have changed. Unless you were shooting possums in California or whatever it was here a couple of years ago, didn't you shoot that rabid, what was it up? A raccoon, raccoon? wasn't Heather? Oh, yeah. On wasn't Main Street or yeah, something? That was me. Were you doing that kind of stuff in California? No, never really shot anything till I came out here and did some pheasant hunting. There comes a certain power with knowing that I know how to run a firearm and I could go hunting and, you know, feed my family if I needed to. (laughs) There's something very like primitive that you're just, yeah, it was, it was right in Grandma Leola's lilac. I was actually checking on Grant who was home. He had just been in his motorcycle accident that summer, my brother-in-law, and um, was checking on him and wander out and uh, there it was and my brother-in-law has a huge arsenal of everything you walk in his house and you can just you can count 30 guns and those are the ones in plain sight alone you know so he happened to be on the toilet at the time I run in I said Grant there's there's a raccoon in your yard where can I get a gun he goes okay go to this closet you'll find this gun it's got three shells in it go (laughs) through the bathroom door and I run out and I do a quick check because I'm not really sure supposed no to shoot in town, you know. That's me, the rule follower. I'm like, I'm not supposed to shoot in town. But I, I thought, okay, Where got my sight on it yeah. and got it. It was, yeah, daytime. all I, I don't remember. But in general, though, I don't feel bad about shooting animals because, like I said, <laughs> I'm not an animal <laughs> lover. Not an animal lover <laughs> but, no, I love. I haven't actually shot a deer yet. Garrett did take me deer hunting one time. I thought, I'll get a doe tag. Yeah. And we'll go and we'll get in a tree stand. We'll get up. This was like November. And all of a sudden the sun was starting to come up. And all you could, you could see, see, see the wildlife was coming to life. And, and all of a sudden I, there was a, a doe that I could have fired. And I thought, I can't do that and ruin this beautiful, peaceful, quiet. I mean, this was just fabulous to just see this wildlife and enjoy it, you know, and they don't have any idea I'm there. And I thought, no, I'll I'll go sit in a tree stand again early morning just for that. Got an old paid hoss, I'm the guy who's boss On the 160 acres that I love Got an old paid hoss, I'm the guy who's boss On the 160 acres that I In the Swedish language, there's an expression that goes, Borta bra men hemma best, which translates to something like, Being away from home is great, 
but coming home is the absolute greatest. It's sort of the equivalent of the expression, there's no place like home. When I got back to Hebron and fell into my own bed, that's exactly how I felt. And that tells me that, at least for now, Hebron and North Dakota is my home. I'd seen and heard plenty on this road trip, and although it took some unexpected twists and turns, I did enjoy it. I'd seen everything from a Confederate and American flag to the colorful flags of Scandinavia. I got a good dose of Iceland, and although I was close enough to jump the border into Canada while nuclear warheads rested beneath me, I really had no desire to. Regardless of where it might be that I belong, if anywhere, this is where I am and where I want to be for now, and I look forward to many things, both long-term and short-term. Long-term, I look forward to learning more about life in this small town, and I'm eager to see where this journey takes me. And I'm looking forward to the basketball season and that sense of belonging that it brings to me when I sit courtside. But it's the short-term anticipation that I most look forward to and which brings me joy. In just one week, my daughter Ingrid will arrive from Sweden to spend some time with me. Beyond that, or more than that, there is nothing, because for me, tonight, that reunion is all there is. The Dakota Ball Podcast is produced by myself, James Walner, in Hebron, North Dakota. The website is dakotaball.org, and the email address is dakotaballpodcast at gmail.com. Many thanks to the Tibor Brothers of North Dakota and Jeffrey Berry for graciously allowing me to use some of their songs. Visit dakotaball.org for more information about these artists and to see Jeffrey's video performing this song called Driven. Until next time... Keep on dreaming, don't stop believing, walk tall, and please be safe.